Welcome to the fifth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. If you want more information about the initiative, visit betternews.org. One of the crucial roles a local news organization plays in its community is covering local politics and elections. David Plazas is the Director of Opinion and Engagement for the USA Today Network Tennessee. He's here to tell us how the Tennessean created a significant, authentic public service experience around local politics. David, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Michael, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here to talk about the work that we've been doing. Just to put this out there, the reason we're having you on Better News, of course, is that you've written about the election coverage that you did. And if you like what you hear in this uh, interview, you should go check out that write-up at betternews.org. So first, how did you get interested in news? And what was your path that led you to your current role at USA Today Network Tennessee? Sure. I, I'm very grateful to my parents and my grandparents for seeing early on that I loved to read and I loved reading the newspapers. So from the time I was five or six years old, I was reading, I grew up in Chicago and we got both the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times. So I got to see two very different visions for what the city looked like from my, my home in the north side of Chicago. And I took the train to high school in the suburban area of Chicago. And so there were newspapers that abounded. So I, I fell in love with that. But I never thought that Journalism was a career path for me because I didn't know any journalists personally growing up until a little bit later in life. And my dad was very intent on making sure that I followed a path of either the law, engineering or medicine. So I decided to go for the law path, given the writing aspect of it. And so I was a pre-law student in college. But as I was writing a lot and during an experience studying abroad in Europe and Spain, particularly a mentor of mine who I was writing long form letters to, we remember what those are basically encouraged me to say, you, you really need to explore your writing. And, you know, I, I don't think you're going to be happy in law school. So I decided not to go and decided to go to, to J school instead. And it was a wonderful decision. 23 years later, I'm still doing this work. I always had a dream to be an editorial page editor. When I started in the business 23 years ago, it was very hierarchical. At least that was the mentality that, you know, maybe in 30, 40 years, you'll be able to get this as your plum assignment. But I became an editorial page editor at the age of 29. The combination of factors, I was hungry for it, you know, a lot of luck. And also the industry had become heavily disrupted, you know, with the Internet, social media and other things. So it became the perfect opportunity for me to go take this. And one aspect that I think has been very important to the work that we're doing even today that I started doing back in 2006 when I started in an opinion role was the community engagement part. That is getting out of the office and really going to the public, going to the people to understand what they're thinking about, what they care about and to create programs that can elevate our platform and can also create more loyal readers. So, first of all, just acknowledging that you're not the first journalist to disappoint their parents <laughs> by picking journalism as a career. So, you know, engagement, you say engagement. I mean, is part of that engagement the way you cover politics? Absolutely. So, you know, the traditional form of how I was taught when I started in the business, I was a print reporter. And a lot of it was about writing stories, you know, making sure those stories got out there. But the engagement part is also about events and experiences. And it's not just about a social media comment, although that can be part of it. You can have a conversation around a particular topic, 
but I prefer the in-person type of engagement in partnership with institutions such as universities, the public library system, and a variety of issues. And I've, I've done a whole series of these for nearly two decades on issues ranging from you know local property tax policy to education reform. And most recently, what we're talking about today related to mayoral forums and why it's so important for people to get to know their candidates in a way that's very, that's visceral, that is human, and that allows us as a news organization to be very relevant to the needs of people today. Tell me about the political landscape in Tennessee leading up to the 2023 election. You know, how many candidates were there and how many races did you need to cover? Tennessee is a very interesting state. It's a very red state, voted 60% for Donald Trump back in 2016 and 2020. But the city slash county of Nashville, Davidson County is a very blue county, voted uh, 65% for Joe Biden and around the same for Hillary Clinton in 2016. The only other blue counties of the 95 are Memphis, Shelby County and also Haywood County, which is out in West Tennessee. So there is this tension that exists between state government and the Republican dominated legislature and the local city council, the Metro Council, which has historically been very progressive and very urban, like many urban centers across the country. So from this, I mentioned this because this is very much relevant to many of the issues of the 2023 election. At the end of the day, there were 12 candidates for mayor. And every four years, we have an election for mayor for 40 Metro Council members. It's the third largest council in the country after New York and Chicago. We also have a vice mayor who doesn't run on a ticket with the mayor. The vice mayor is the president of the council and runs independently of that person. And there were two candidates for that. So in preparation for this, we had this landscape that the Metro Council the year before had decided to reject having the Republican National Convention come to Nashville in 2024. So Milwaukee went out to Nashville, which angered the Republican leaders of the legislature. And they retaliated by passing a series of laws that affected the governance and finances of the city, taking away the powers of appointment of certain keyboards on sports and the airport focusing on cutting the Metro Council in half from 40 to 20, and many other decisions that are going to the court system at this time. Because of an injunction, there were still 40 seats up for election for the Metro Council this year, but that could change in four years from now. But the mayor here in Nashville is a strong mayor system. So a weak mayor system is where you might have a city manager who's running the day-to-day operations. Here in Nashville, much like places like Chicago, New York, you have a strong mayor system where that person is the chief executive. We had just come off a gentleman who had decided to serve only one term, John Cooper, comes from a, a legacy family. His father was governor. His congressman was a congressman for many, many years. And John Cooper came in as kind of this reform person who had followed up a period of scandal. There had been a mayor who had been in office, our first female mayor, Megan Berry, who resigned midway into her term due to a, a money scandal and sex scandal. And the vice mayor took over. He lost, you know, very resoundingly to Mayor Cooper. And that opened the door to, you know, would he run or would he not run in 2023? And a couple of candidates decided to put their head in early on before Cooper had made a decision. And one of them, the first actually was Freddie O'Connell, who is now the mayor of Nashville. He was seen as this long shot who didn't have much of a chance. He was a district council member representing a downtown area. But he was adamant that he had a plan. He had 15 things he was going to do on day one. 
And from there, a lot of people got into it, especially after Cooper announced that he was not going to run for re-election, saying that he felt like he had had two terms in one term because of COVID. It was a bombing in downtown because of the animosity with the state legislature, all these different factors. So that wide open field created a wonderful opportunity for a publication like us to do some really great work, both on the news and the opinion and engagement side. So one of the things I talk about in the Better News article is our forums, which were a key part of our success. And this was a year in the making. In September of 2022, I started the conversations with different community leaders about, you know, we need to do this. We had a longtime relationship with Belmont University, which is uh, very well known for music, but it's also hosted two presidential debates in the last two decades between President Obama, then candidate Obama and John McCain. And also, most recently, one of the debates in 2020 between former President Trump and now President Joe Biden. So they were a really legitimate partner, the top tier when it came to debates in our state. And we decided we wanted a TV partner. So I worked over a few months to really develop this relationship with the number one news leader, News Channel 5. And they agreed to be our partner in this. And then the League of Women Voters joined us. And then American Baptist College, which is one of four historically Black colleges and universities in Nashville. And the reason that is so important is because 25% of the community is African-American. And there's a rich history of civil rights activism and advocacy that is central to the history of Nashville. So we wanted to honor that. American Baptist College is famously the alma mater of the late Congressman John Lewis, the civil rights warrior who is famous for a lot of his work, both as a student and as a member of Congress. So it was under this backdrop that we were able to do some really significant things. And the key to the success was very early on connecting with candidates to say, we're going to be doing this. We want you to be part of this. We had some interesting timelines to think about. You know, I had been even approaching the former mayor, John Cooper, when I wasn't sure if he was going to run or not, talking to his campaign to say, hey, we're planning to do this. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And of course, he ended up not running for re-election. But May 18th was the qualifying date. So it didn't give us much time, but we had already set up our first debate for May 18th. And of the 12 candidates, we agreed to have nine of the candidates come up. We created a criteria that we felt was fair that related to the funds that they had raised to date, that related to whether or not they had previous elective experience, because it shows a history of being able to get votes. And also, you know, factors you know, related to that 12 people on stage is not a great television experience, which is unfortunate that we, we got a lot of complaints from those who were not on stage about that. But it ended up being a great way to at least highlight some of the positions. And it's hard when you have that many candidates, because essentially you're getting these in some cases, stock answers. So we tried to be as original as possible when it came to our script so that we wouldn't be like other forums. So I attended other forums as well just to see, you know, what are people asking and how can we be distinct? And what was really unique about us is that not only did we were we on television, we weren't the only televised forum, but we were the only organization that had multiple forums on four subsequent months. So we went from May to August, the first three with the general election candidates, in Nashville, you had to get 50% plus one of the vote to win outright. Two candidates who received the most votes, but they received plurality of the votes, they went on to the runoff election and we did a runoff debate with them. And that was actually quite good because then you could get really deep into the issues with them and you had a lot more time to do so. Yeah, that way nine or 12 candidates didn't have to get there two or three minutes. So you did the forums, you broadcast them. Did you do anything else? You know, did you do surveys? Did you do profiles? What other type of content did you produce? Yeah, a very key part of it, you know, aside from the news reporting, and, and I'm not on the news side, I'm on the opinion side, even though I, I collaborate and speak regularly with the news team and, you know, go to news meetings. From the engagement side, I created a questionnaire 
that I sent to 106 candidates for local office. And that includes the Metro Council candidates and mayoral candidates, et cetera. And it was something that we've been crafting over several years and really had been refining because we thought about it. We want to have a questionnaire that means something, but we also want it to be something that the public will read. We don't just want to do it for the sake of doing it. So in addition to some basic bio information, we asked about 10 or 12 questions, I believe, on some policy issues, on their vision, but also specific issues. You know, some of the biggest issues that we have right now are affordability and transportation. Those are big things. You know, Nashville has been called the top market to watch in real estate by the Urban Land Institute. But at the same time, we've also been called the worst community in America by Forbes magazine and have a very high cost of living compared to how things were 10 years ago. So those things about livability, about quality of life were key and central to this conversation. And that's something we tapped into very early on, partly because like myself, I've been here for nine years we knew these issues very, very well and studied them very carefully. So you talk about collaboration. You certainly talked about television, you know, making that agreement with the television station to you know, help broadcast those. Were there any other resources you're able to leverage? Of course, you just also, I should say, mentioned the editorial staff of your paper. So those were the principal ones. Our own staff, you know, we have a a metro, full-time metro council reporter and and government reporter who was on the story every single day. We also had assistance from some of the other reporters who, while they may have had a different beat for the purposes of the election, they essentially were loaned to that beat because it's important, especially if you have, when it came to the runoff, you have two candidates, you need one reporter at one party and another reporter at the other party, essentially. And so there was a lot of very interesting analysis. and, And we used on the news side, a political notebook that often was used during the legislative session. The legislature was out when the election happened. And so it was used effectively to talk about some of the big issues in town. Uh, I mentioned the housing issue, but two of the very big issues that came up during the campaign was whether or not the council should have supported a new stadium for the Tennessee Titans, the NFL football team. The Metro Council decided yes, although Freddie O'Connell, as I mentioned, the current mayor and at the time the district council member voted against it, which was very interesting because he was running as a contrarian to the current mayor, even though after the mayor got out of the race, he was very conciliatory in his language. And that was one of the big ones. The issue of NASCAR in Nashville was another big one. So even though these are sports issues, it comes down to the issues of money, quality of life, traffic, and who gets what resources to do what. There was one particular candidate who often posed that he was, he was uh, one of the ones who did not make it into the runoff, who talked about the fact that are we you know, for billionaires or are we for the average resident? And so those kinds of things really resonated. And, and there were two things, too, that I picked up on that I wrote about as a columnist that performed very well in our digital metrics. And one of them was the person who was going to win was the one who could tap into the dissatisfaction. The Vanderbilt poll, Vanderbilt University does this poll every single year where it gauges the sentiment of the, of the local population. And they've always asked, you know, are you satisfied with the direction of the city? And for many, many years, people said yes, overwhelmingly. The last two years, they said no. And a lot of it had to do with the perception that Nashville is unrecognizable to longtime residents. And so tapping into that, I wrote a column about that dissatisfaction factor. And in fact, the two runoff winners were the ones who best articulated what the problem was, had solutions, and were very clear about their vision. The other thing that I did, which I wish I had thought about months and months ago, but turned out to be a huge hit, was what I call the candidate scorecard. And this came from the fact that, you know, a lot of my friends knew that I was engaging with these candidates, you know, for months. And so they keep on, you know, in social events saying, you know, who should I vote for? Tell me who to vote for. 
I was very reluctant to tell them who to vote for. I said, you know, I, I could tell you who to vote for, but I want to see some critical thinking from you. And so I said, what if I were to give you a scorecard? And at first I thought maybe 20 questions, but that's too much. And it came down to five basic questions that compared all the candidates at this time, the 12 candidates. And it was what neighborhood do they live in? Does it matter what neighborhood they live in? You know, North Nashville, Antioch, East Nashville, whatever. Does it matter if they had previous elective experience? And, you know, another question was about, you know, show their own occupational experience that they had. And then one very key question that came from our questionnaire was, how do their top three priorities compare to yours? And finally, even though the local election is not partisan, people still were very interested in who was a Democrat and who was a Republican. So we had that information. So people could say, okay, I'm for the Republican or I'm for the Democrat, and I like the education priority over the transit priority. And I can now narrow this down. And it was a huge hit in terms of building subscribers. And I, I mentioned some of those figures in the article if people want to go to it and how we were e able to leverage that by something so simple. It was a top of the funnel play where you give people basic introduction, but it also opens the door for them if they wish to go even deeper into the, the longer questionnaire. So once they pick their two or three favorite candidates, they could really do a deep dive into them. That's a really neat way of doing it, especially, I understand, since you chose not to endorse. Is this the first time that the Tennessean has not endorsed a candidate? No, you know, we have had this struggle over several years, over the last several years, about whether or not endorsements are still relevant. And it doesn't mean that they're not relevant for other publications, but we really started noticing that they weren't as important to us in terms of building trust and audience. That is, they were something that we were expected to do. And just to give you a little bit of the history, the Tennessean started in 1907 and was aligned with the Democratic Party for a long time, especially when it came to presidential endorsements. And that changed in 2012 when the editorial board, this is before my time, decided to endorse Mitt Romney, which made national news because how could, you know, the newspaper of John Siegenthaler endorse a Republican? And ever since that time, you know, with new editorial board members, when it came to the 2015 election, we did endorse. We endorsed the candidate who eventually won and eventually resigned in scandal. And when it came to the presidential election, we made a decision. We couldn't come to consensus in terms of a candidate. And you know, we've got a lot of plaque for endorsing democracy. But several of us, including myself and some of our columnists, wrote personal opinion pieces about who we were supporting particularly. And so that resonated well, but obviously there was a lot of desire to see who, you know, one commentator said, where is your manhood in this? And that hurt for sure. But it really got me thinking in terms of, is it worthwhile to do? And so we were going back and forth on endorsing, not endorsing for several years. And last year and this year, we made a concerted effort that in fact, it would not be worthwhile for us to endorse candidates because what we want to do is create a platform where readers see us as a trusted source at a time when we see this tremendous falling in trust for institutions, especially members of the press, you know, we need to show that we in fact can tell these stories and can elevate these issues in a way that's not favoring one person or of another. And, you know, especially with 12 candidates and imagine if we had picked the wrong one. I mean, there might've been morally correct for some people, but the reality is we were so much more powerful by saying we have the information we have the platform, we're asking questions, and we're inviting you to engage and be part of this and make a good decision based upon quality information. And it was a huge success for us. And I think it's a very smart thing to do considering the political climate is, that we're currently in and, and also this, that many readers are struggling with, you know, which sources should they 
trust. And as soon as you pick a side, then suddenly, well, that may bolster some people's support. Others may be turned off about it. You know, maybe don't appreciate being told who to pick, but giving people, you know, information and tools so they can make their own decisions. I think that's a really smart thing to do. I know that you mentioned with one of the things that with the scorecard that you did see some increase in clicks. I mean, were there opportunities for readers to engage in other ways? Yes, absolutely. So with each of the candidates, we invited all the mayoral candidates to come to our office, meet with our members of our editorial board and reporting staff, and at the same time, do a video. So it was a 15-minute video with me that was posted both on our website and on YouTube. And those were really great ways to engage readers. So now you weren't only just reading about them, you could actually hear their voices. You could see how they moved. You could see how they reacted and how they answered questions. And the reason for 15 minutes, we said, we don't want it to be too short that you're not getting enough, but we don't want to be too too long so that people check out. And we could ask a few questions that made sense. And also we asked some, some fun questions. One question that we have in the questionnaire that I've kept because it has been very, very effective is if you are recommending two to three places for a visitor to see in Nashville, where, where should they go? And it gives you a sense of where this person's mindset is. Does this person pick the Parthenon, you know, with the replica of the the classical architecture? Does the person pick a particular park or restaurant? Does the person pick an experience? People are very neighborhood oriented in Nashville historically. And so these, these things matter. You know, the way you understand your community really matters. Understanding the history really matters. And what's very interesting is that there was a time where we had a succession of mayors who were not originally from Nashville in many cases were accomplished in many different ways, but there's almost been this desire, it seems, at least in the last three mayors, of having someone who's a Nashville native who understands some of the issues and who understands probably the biggest concern in my estimation or my reporting is this challenge of wanting to accommodate more people becoming a global city while at the same time being feeling like you're being displaced by someone from somewhere else. Yeah. So you've talked about a couple of the things that proved to be successful. Were there any learning experiences, things that may not have gone as well as you thought, but maybe taught you something? One of the things that I wish had gone better, you know, we were certainly encouraging candidates if they wanted to, to write letters or guest opinion columns. And that call was not heated the way that I thought it would be. And we, we didn't see much in terms of reader engagement either when it came to writing letters. That is, people were engaged when it came to reading the content, but in terms of actually participating. And I think part of it is that, you know, knowledge of local issues tends to be scarce. And so when you had like the most read issues and the most commented issues of this past year had to do with the tragic killing of six people at the school, at the Covenant School in Nashville, and afterwards, expulsion votes of three legislators, two who were, were actually expelled and one who survived by one vote. And so people were very engaged, not just in Nashville, but all across the world. I received letters from New Zealand, you know, I received letters from Italy. And so that's one thing that's a learning point for us that is, you know, should we focus that much when it comes to a local issue or should we focus more on just information? So as I mentioned, you know, what worked really well, the scorecard and the forums and the questionnaires, which we're going to continue on for local elections. And then, you know, how can we be more effective at informing, engaging that local sentiment? Some of the things that we found in recent weeks that people have been commenting on is is on the issues of housing and zoning and transportation. And I think one of the things, if there is a local referendum next year, which there might be on a new transit system, that could also yield us opportunities to do something significant. There was an attempt in 2018 
to pass a massive $9 billion plan, and it went down in flames, in part because of the former mayor's scandal and resignation, but also because people didn't think that it would benefit them. And ever since that point, since the resignation, there has been almost this pall over national society, in my estimation, that is, you know, can we trust our government? Does our government have our best interest? And then you also have the tension between the Republican-led legislature and you know, Blue Nashville. And we saw a lot of that language with two candidates who made the runoff. Freddie O'Connell is a Democrat and his runoff challenger, Ellis Rowley, is a Republican. And she was hitting on themes that Republicans have hit on in many major cities about how, you know, the crime is rampant and, you know, people are not supporting our police. And there are half-truths to that. You know, we have more police officers now. You know, Nashville was not one of the cities that defunded the police. And crime, certain crimes has gone down overall, but in some cases, a lot of property crime has gone up. And so, you know, this whole notion of who gets to define the debate. But I think that, you know, for next year, the elections that we have are going to be a combination of county elections, possible referendum, and state legislature elections. We do have a Senate race next year that we're going to get involved in. And we have a partnership with the University of Tennessee system that we worked on last year where we, we look to engage congressional candidates. But we're going to really talk about as we end this year, you know, what is the most effective way for us to be useful to the citizen? We're not going to get involved in the presidential race as a local publication. Certainly USA Today, our flagship publication will be very much involved in that. But I'll be involved in things at the local level that touch Tennesseans on a very intimate level. And maybe you just answered that question, but how has the community benefited from the way you covered the 2023 election, do you think? I think that the community has benefited by having quality, trusted information that helps them make good decisions about the future for their families. I couch it in terms of these are issues that are about schools, they're about public safety, they're about transportation options, and they're about quality of life. And we were able to define it, I believe, the best of any other local media. And we also created experiences that people came to. So if you look at our Comscore you know, figures, if you look at our traffic, to look at our you know, subscription growth, it resonated with people. We want to offer more of that. So with all the changes that you did, with the approaches that you took, is there any advice that you give for other publications, other news organizations and what has worked for you that you think might work for them? Yeah, planning is so important. It's something that we take for granted, but planning, coordination, and communication that is clear with your partners and with the public, and also be early about it. We can't afford to wait till the last minute to do these things. And in part two, as we saw with the mayoral candidates, there were dozens of forums that people were at. We wanted to be the first organization to invite someone in to lock down these dates, and we did. So every single candidate who was invited to our forum went to the forum. We also had the opportunity as well to showcase this content in ways that nobody else could, you know, through video, through print, through text, through newsletters. And that was really important. And so, and this is not just me alone or my team alone, but I worked and coordinated with our newsletters team, our social media team, our news director, you know, who helped get this information out there. And so it was phenomenally successful. Our reporter, Cassandra Stevenson, she was relentless in terms of her coverage and came out being able to do her day job of covering the metro government, but at the same time covering the campaign and some of the very important issues that were there. And I think framing them in ways that made sense. And also, you know, some of the things that were very effective in our video strategy, when we had the forums, yes, someone could watch it from start to finish if they wanted to, but that's not how most consumers look at video anymore. So we were able to chunk it in ways that were thematic. 
And so if people wanted to watch two and a half minutes on affordable housing, or they wanted to watch a minute and a half on solving the, the issues of solid waste and garbage, which are actually very serious issues in this city and other cities when your city can't pick up the trash or when your landfill is about to fill up. You know, those are things that people are really thinking about who are engaged in politics. And also, you know, continuously, what we learn constantly is how to communicate better and more effectively. I mentioned the scorecard issue, you know, definitely want to listen a lot more to how people want to engage with these elections. Because of course, it was very nice. I felt honored that people would have trusted my opinion if I said to vote for this person. And they might have said, you know, because David said so, we're going to do it. But as a journalist, I would feel very irresponsible doing that. I want to let them know that I did my homework. I want to show my work. But then I want to help them get to where they want to be without making it horribly onerous. And I think people appreciate that. And people appreciate if you're being open about it, if they know that where you're coming from and you respect them enough to be able to, you know, give them the tools through which they're able to make those decisions. I've been talking to David Plazas, the Director of Opinion and Engagement at USA Today Network Tennessee, about the Tennesseans' coverage of the 2023 election. David, thanks for coming on the Better News Podcast. Michael, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.